Maybe we could just open our Bibles, please, for a few minutes to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. It's wonderful to see everyone this morning, and even more wonderful to see by faith our Lord Jesus. And I hope that has been your personal experience this morning as we have gathered to remember Him. I thought of the verse describing the experience of those three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. As it came to its conclusion, it says they saw no man save Jesus only. And so I trust this morning we have been occupied obediently, as he's asked us to do. We've been occupied with the Lord Jesus. And I would like to just read one verse with you, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2. We understand, of course, that this chapter is describing the Lord Jesus 700 years or so before he came. Looking ahead to his life, the scriptures say, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. That's all I wish to read. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Now, as you go through the verses of Isaiah chapter 53, of course, there are many, many, many details that you can go forward to the life of the Lord Jesus and trace the fulfillment of the specific prophecies. But I would like to consider with you this morning just these four short little statements that we have at the beginning of this verse. And I'd like you to think with me of how, as we look at the life of the Lord as it's described for us, we see the perfect fulfillment of what the Spirit of God said. First of all, the verse begins, he shall grow up. Now really, in a sense, that is a verse or a statement that is filled with wonder. He shall grow up. Because the Lord Jesus is infinite. He's God, manifest in flesh. He is self-sufficient. He is complete. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is all-powerful. So growth speaks of development. Growth speaks of progress. How could one who in himself is infinite ever be marked by growth and development? And yet, we know that the New Testament tells us, a, a marvelous verse really, at the end of Luke chapter 2, after that experience in the temple when Mary and Joseph come back and they find him there, Mary rebukes them, and it says he went down with them, and he was subject to them as a 12-year-old boy. And this is how the chapter ends. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And so the life of the Lord Jesus Christ was a life of which it could truly be said, he shall grow up. He grew up. Now, there is a mystery to that that I can't really understand. Some of you can, then you can try to help me. But I'm not sure that our minds can really grasp the full import of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. One who never ceased to be who he intrinsically is, the God of eternity, and yet one who truly became and experienced humanity as God perfectly intended it to be manifest apart from sin. So he grew up. You trace his life, and you will see that he grew up. Now, what is growth or development supposed to be? 
I'd suggest to you two things. In each of these four statements, there's two simple thoughts that I've enjoyed that I see in the life of the Lord Jesus. When I think of he shall grow up, I think of progress towards a purpose. That's what growth is. Growth is developing, making progress towards an intended purpose. And as you look at the life of the Lord Jesus, you see perfect progress towards a perfect purpose. Even as that boy of 12, what were his words to Mary? As she said, your father and I have sought you. He said gently, but honestly to Mary, his mother. He said, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And you trace the life of the Lord Jesus and you see perfect progress. Unlike any other human being. There is no other perfect progress in the Bible. The very first man, his progress was marked by a precipitous fall off a cliff in dis disobedience. He sinned. And the hallmark of that first man is disobedience, plunging, a race into sin. You trace through all the other Bible characters, and you will find that in their progress, at times they were marked by veering off course, some of them. At times, some of them were marked by just settling down and stalling and failing to make any more progress. Or at times, they were marked by slipping backwards and regressing instead of making progress. But there is one man, one life, and as a man here on earth, his path was marked by perfect progress at exactly the pace that God intended, never accomplishing anything before the appointed time, never accepting anything until the time that God had established, taking every step, never wavering, never holding back, never veering, but with steady, persistent progress, he shall grow up. But think of the next little clause. He shall grow up before him. You think of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I think of this little expression, before him, I kind of appreciated looking at it from two different perspectives. If you look at it from the perspective of his father, God, then I think of appreciation. Because the eye of God looked down from a throne of glory to a world that had come from his own hands, populated by creatures that were made in his own image. But for millennia, God had looked down at the lives of people populating that planet. Man, man that he had set his heart on, man that he was mindful of, and really there wasn't one that could bring perfect pleasure to his eye until this one. And for the first time in human history, not the first man, but the second man, the Lord from heaven, the last Adam, growing up before him, there was an eye that looked down at that life. And every moment of every day, he appreciated that one who was growing up. Every moment of every day, the God of heaven had a heart that burst with delight as he witnessed the progress and the path and the obedience and the development of this perfect man on earth. Appreciation. Is it any wonder that the Lord spoke from heaven? There on the banks of the Jordan at the time of his baptism. Depending on which of the renderings we read, he either said to the crowd, This is my beloved Son, in whom I've been well pleased. 
Or I think it's Luke that tells us he spoke to Christ. Thou art my beloved son. In thee I am well pleased. Before him the appreciation of the father that witnessed that life. But if we think of that little expression not from the father's perspective looking down in appreciation. But we think of that expression he shall grow up before him from the perspective of the son living on earth as a man. Then I would suggest to you it's not so much the appreciation that he was growing up before him. It's the awareness that he was growing up before him. As a man living on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ always knew that he was growing up before the eye of his father. He was misunderstood by and large by the crowds. He was rejected and despised in his own family, his siblings growing up in Nazareth. Even his own disciples, those dear men to whom he poured out his heart to lead them and teach them, they couldn't really understand. Ultimately at the cross, they all forsook him and fled. What were his words to them? He says, you shall go your way to your own place and I shall be alone. And yet I'm not alone. For my Father is with me. And every moment of every day, that blessed man moved, conscious, aware that he was living before his Father. Someone quoted in worship this morning the words of the Lord, I do always those things that please the Father. He shall grow up. Speaking of progress and purpose. Before him. Speaking of God's appreciation of him and his awareness that he was living before the eye of his Father. As a tender plant. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Now, there's a number of ways that we can appreciate that. I think in the words, there is a sense of the, the gentleness or even the fragility of a tender little shoot, a little plant. Now, I know there's a sense in which the Lord was not fragile. This same prophet Isaiah said, he shall not fail nor be discouraged. So in that sense, he was invincible in his work. Nothing was going to stop him from the work that he was going to do. So in that sense, he certainly wasn't fragile the way we would commonly use the word. And yet, our Lord described himself as one who was meek and lowly in heart. He wasn't brash. He wasn't brazen. He wasn't hard. He wasn't callous. He was a gentle man. He was a tender-hearted man. He was one that the people, when they listened to him, marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. He was one who's standing weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Even the Jews had to acknowledge. Behold how he loved them. He truly was a tender plant. Surrounded by people occupied with self-interest. Surrounded by people whose hearts were stony with pride and jealousy and selfishness, there was one who grew up before him like a tender plant. This speaks to us of the gentle fragility of a life of God manifest in flesh. But there's another thought, I think, with the idea of a tender plant. Depending on the translation that you read, you may have that translated 
that he shall grow up before him as a young plant. Has the idea of that first little shoot of life, a plant rising up out of the ground, a seed has been put in, and then the moment comes that that plant begins to appear. And as that young plant rises from the ground, that young plant speaks of future bountiful harvest. That's what a young plant represents. If you, my wife is from a farming background, a farming family, and many of her siblings are still involved in the farming industry. And if you're a farmer, when that little shoot begins to come up out of the field in the spring, the very evidence of that young plant means one thing. It means there is a promise of a harvest that is going to come. As we consider the life of the Lord Jesus, after all of the centuries of human experience, finally the moment comes, the fullness of the times, when God sends His Son, born of a woman, and a young plant begins to spread. And God's redemptive purpose is now being put into motion. God has been manifest in flesh in the fulfillment of what Abraham told Isaac in Isaiah chapter 22. God will provide himself a lamb. And now a young shoot, a young plant appears. And that life in that young plant speaks of a tremendous, immeasurable, eternal, bountiful harvest of the one that shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a young plant. Speaking of the, the, the future promise that that life represented, but he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. Now I know there's a lot of technical ways that we can look at that in terms of the barrenness of humanity, specifically in the context here of the Jewish nation in view of the barrenness of the nation of Israel. And he is the one who rises out of all of that barrenness as something that is now going to bear fruit for God. And I know that that's true. But in my own meditation on this, I thought about a root out of dry ground. What does a root represent to a plant? Again, I would suggest two things that I've enjoyed. When I consider a root, the first thing that a root provides is sustenance for the plant. And if you take the root in a dry ground, you see a plant that is flourishing in an arid environment, and you will find a root that goes deep down underneath the surface to reach down to find the moisture and the nutrients that that plant requires to thrive and prosper. A root represents sustenance for the life that it is supporting. The Lord Jesus Christ, as he lived here on earth, he drew his sustenance from a source that was unseen to those that witnessed his life. During his life, how often do we read? One of the brethren reminded us yesterday, I believe it was our brother McKeown. How often do we read of the Lord separating himself away, going out into the wilderness to pray, going up into the mountain to pray? John chapter 17, in front of the disciples, lifting his heart to his Father in heaven to pray. He drew sustenance in a barren, bleak environment 
where there was nothing around to support him. He had roots that went down and drew their sustenance from the word of God and from his Father in heaven. Think of the temptation. The Lord in Luke chapter 4 goes into the wilderness and at the end of that 40 days, he's confronted by the enemy. And as he is confronted by Satan and that threefold temptation that Satan presents before him, command these stones, be made bread, cast thyself down, and so on. How did the Lord respond? Where did he draw his sustenance from? Where did he get his strength? Three times over, he says, it is written. His was a life that was marked by drawing sustenance from a deep, deep, deep spring from his Father God and from the Word of God. But a root not only speaks to me of sustenance, and I see that in the life of the Lord Jesus, but a root, secondly, speaks of stability. What is it that gives a tree the ability to withstand adversity? Its roots. What is it that allows a tree to stand up through the storms and the hurricanes and the changing of the seasons and all that blows across its path? Roots that go down deep, that support the visible, evident life. And if ever there was a life that was marked by stability, it was the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I've already said in terms of his progress, never blown off course. He faced far more adversity than any other man ever faced. Never turned back. Even as we heard in worship this morning, when it came to Gethsemane, as he gazed into a cup Understanding the full import of what it would mean. The cry of his soul was, Father, if this cup shall not pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. The little verse in John chapter 19, and I love it. If you look at the verse immediately before, it's filled with all that Pilate and the wicked people were doing. And you look at the verse immediately after, and the verbs all refer to what the crowds were doing and what his enemies were doing. And sandwiched between those two verses, you read these precious words. He, bearing his cross, went forth. In the midst of all that they were doing, he knew exactly what he was doing. And in a life that was marked by perfect stability, he went all the way to the very completion of every one of God's intended purposes. Think of the words John tells us, John chapter 19 at the cross. After this, tremendous content in those two words, after this. After all that had transpired in six hours of the cross, including the darkness. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said I thirst. Even there. In those last moments following the darkness, he knew there was one scripture yet to be fulfilled. And in order that the scripture would be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. A life that was marked by perfect stability. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, a young plant, and as a root out of dry ground. But before I sit down, let me just now bring that back. These words perfectly describe the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The challenge to you and I is this, or to you and me, is this. 
To what extent do these words describe me as one of his followers? He shall grow up. Progress. Occupation with God's purpose. Growth. Development. Moving, sadly, most of us, I mean, if we're honest, most of us are not marked by steady, unwavering progress and development. Most of us, at the very best, are marked by occasional little spurts, hopefully forward, and then maybe periods of stagnation, and then maybe sometimes when we're regressing a little, and sometimes when we're veering off course. Isn't that sadly true of us? It wasn't true of him. God's intention is that we, his children, would be marked by progress. That he would see in our lives development towards his purpose being fulfilled. What about growing up before him? Awareness on my part that every moment of every day, not just on Sunday morning when I'm around the Lord's table, but every day of the week in school, at work, at home, in my family life, in my private life, that I am living before him. There is an eye that is always witnessing, watching, Keenly interested in my progress and my development. What about the flip side of that? Is there any appreciation? As I grow up before him, before my heavenly father, is there any appreciation that he can have as he looks at his purposes being furthered in my life? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant. You know, we are very, very quick to write off our weakness to personality. We'll say things like, well, yeah, I fly off the handle, and yeah, I say things I shouldn't say, and yeah, maybe I got a problem with road rage or uh, Twitter rage or all these other rages they have now, but you know, it's just my personality. It's just the way I, I don't really mean any harm by it. Personality is absolutely no excuse for a lack of Christ-like character being developed in a life. We should be reflecting the character of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit has nothing to do with personality. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. How are you doing? How am I doing? Growing up before Him like a tender plant. And what about a root out of a dry ground? Is your life marked by sustenance? Are you feeding your soul on everything the world has to offer? We were just commenting around the breakfast table this morning in Mary and Dave's home at the incredible volume of useless trivia that we now allow to flood into our minds. And I'm not ranting and raving against the information age. I'm part of it, the same as you are. But we've got to open our eyes and realize that we are allowing massive volumes of useless information into our consciousness. And we're feeding our souls on it. To what extent are we drawing sustenance that we desperately need for our spiritual lives. To what extent are we drawing sustenance like a root out of our relationship with the eternal God and out of His blessed Word? What about stability? I trust that we will go away from this conference with a greater appreciation of one who lived a perfect life. And instead of just shrinking back and saying, I could never be like that, could we understand that God's purpose is, in some degree, to make us like that? To make us like His Son. Ultimately, eternally, He will make us like Him. His desire is that now as we go along our journey of life, 
that we will increasingly be transformed into the image of his Son. May God challenge our hearts and fill our minds with an appreciation of the Lord Jesus Christ.